wasn't that nice? The gals had uh, prepared a different set, and we didn't have all the songs. So I kind of made just a decision to be able to go to the stuff that we had, and like within five minutes, they drafted up a new worship set. And I just found it to be so wonderful. Now both the... I know I'm going somewhere with this thought. (laughs) What you're experiencing on a Thursday night is actually what we do on a weekly basis, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 6.30. It's quiet in here. And so this past week, Angel and Karis uh, opened up on Monday, and then Karis and Stephen took on Tuesday and Wednesday. Am I right on that? And then, didn't I do the day? I did. (laughs) But what I was trying to say is that um, there's music that ascends, and there's opportunity to worship. And I appreciate our worship leaders. So tomorrow night, impromptu, um, I'm going to be in here probably with another person for about 30 minutes or so. If you want to catch that, that would be about 7 o'clock. So there's going to be simultaneous study going on in Bethany House and as well in the D House. And then uh, I'm going to give a shot towards the evening of about 30 to 40 minutes. Um, don't know if I can match that set, but I can sing. So we'll uh, we'll see how that I just feel I want to try that for tomorrow night. Um, the other thing is, we have as well, um, is it is the meeting that we're going to be doing Sunday, is that important to announce? Yeah. So if you didn't get the message, yeah, the teacher's Sunday school meeting is going to be following church. So see if you can, you know, dial that in. Um, it's... Sh- I'd like to say it's right after church, and I think we're going to try to do that. And then we're going to get everybody just upgraded on how the Sunday school works, how we need to be continuing to pray for that work. And that's uh, what I want to remind you of. So Bethany House tomorrow, D House tomorrow, short evening of worship communion uh, tomorrow as well, 7 o'clock. We'll see how that all works out. But I so appreciate the worship leaders. It's really a wonderful gift that God has given to us. One of the things that I also wanted to share, just as I was sitting here enjoying it, um, Angel was playing my guitar, which it's a big guitar, and she handled it so nicely. But what I was reminding myself is that for years, 10 years at least, it sits on this stage, really unprotected, protected, but just open. And... It had such a nice sheen to it. And that sheen happened because I took it into a guitar shop. And the guy says, now when I'm through servicing it, I'm going to polish it if that's okay. I said, oh really? You can polish these things? Yeah. And so I think he gave it a carnuba polishing. The point that I was making is that as we've been talking about Solomon's temple, the one that he was ordained to build to the specifications that his father received from the Lord. Anything that was gold actually was overlaid upon wood. And wood speaks of humanity. 
And so in these times right now, God deals with humanity literally by spiritually encasing us in the gold truly of his son. That speaks of what would be considered the highest of value in metals. Jesus was presented with gold. He was presented with myrrh and frankincense. It spoke completely of his offices. And the point that I was making on the guitar is that it took an effort to polish that. It took the application of skill. And so as I was looking at that now easily 26-year-old guitar with little chinks in it, little scrapes, some obviously that I can account for, others I can't account for. I didn't see it because of the sheen, because of the wax, the hands that floated over it and applied pressure on it. And I think that's a good thing to realize that as we're here, God's polishing us on Sundays. He's polishing us. On the times that we seek him in the word, he's polishing us. It's an important part to know that it's a consummate God, skilled in bringing out the very best of us by applying himself to all of us. So I was just kind of fascinated. It sounded great. She was handling it great. And it's because, you know, the Lord has gifted us with these kinds of things, and he's gifted all of you with spiritual endowments. And he's bringing out the best in us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab the stool. You're going to be directed to go to Matthew 12. We're going to pick it up in 22, but I'll have an anchor verse for you, and then I'll invocate. Let me go grab a chair. Lord, we ask for your blessings on the teaching, even as it has been um, both prepared and prayed over. We just want to commit this time, even, Lord, that thought, that consideration of your hands that are applying themselves to us personally, bringing out a sheen that does hide the mars and the scars, the impairments. Thank you for what you're doing in our life, really making beautiful music out of what we know we are pictorially and that's instruments in your hands may this be received we pray in jesus name amen so in philippians i'm going to anchor uh where we will be in the gospel of matthew and this is where i'm going to take it right now in the first chapter of philippians a couple of areas i'm going to springboard off of but in particular for god is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. The reason I'm picking that is because the title for tonight's teaching is To Cross the Great Divide. To Cross the Great Divide. We're going to see that Jesus has some specific insights with regarding a nation, a city, a home, and it does seem to have with it the message of consequence when there's division in those three areas. So emphasized here, 
Paul is writing, and he's in prison, by the way. This is one of his prison letters. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ Jesus, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I'd like you to go over to chapter 2. And we're told in verse 2, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. When we look at that one accord and one mind, it's clear to us that he is not speaking about schisms or divisions. When you're one, then you're united. It's an important concept both to be mindful of and living out our lives to see that it is achieved. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. It doesn't mean that you can't value time for yourself and the things that you enjoy doing, but it's not without considering the joy of another person, the things that are also significant to them, esteeming in that regard others better than yourself. And then it says with regard to this, and I want to come down here, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so that is an emphasis for tonight, symbolically, because one of the things that will only change the consequence of division is ultimately the cross. When this question was asked of me with regard to taking up your cross, what's the implication of it? And Jesus only knew, first and foremost, which he told his disciples, the, the clearest meaning of it. It meant for him to be executed as a sacrifice for all of us. That term has also a secondary application, which is the execution of a command. Normally, we can hear that in the military. Was that plan, was that mission executed accordingly, or did it fail? Usually, in the execution of a plan militarily, it is intended that is for victory, and most military will say that is the achievement to be reckoned, that there is victory and ultimately the potential, in this case, of the sacrifice of a life. Jesus went far beyond that. It was more than potential. It was promise. He would see to it that in his execution there would be victory. And so one of the things that we will move back into is understanding that for all of us, especially in this concept, to cross the great divide, I think is an appropriate play on words 
that means we have to be focused ultimately in following the Lord in route and ultimately to the pleasure and the purposes of God with how we live our life and what we're willing to do in his honor to live out our life, both sacrificially, to cross the great divide. Let's go ahead and take on verses 22 and we'll see how far we can go tonight. Then one was brought to him, verse 22 of Matthew 12, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him. So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. The subtitle to the chapter that we've been in, at least up to this point, is A House Divided Cannot Stand. We know that Paul would speak of these bodies, our humanity, frail, flawed, scarred, marred by events, by individuals, is one of the things that is being addressed with regard to this man. His temple, which he wouldn't have known of theologically back then, had been invaded. The invasion is a force that even Jesus would teach on and challenge through the course of his ministry, and it was demonic. We're not told whether the consideration was a long one for the Jesus to be able to rectify. We're just told that in this person being brought to him, he was demon-possessed, and the manifestation of that was blindness and muteness, the inability to speak. So is it any wonder that in today, a culture that is highly hedonistic as opposed to honorably spiritual, that there would be those who cannot, in this case, both see God and they cannot speak about the things of God. It's a picture. This happened to this man, his temple, had not been given over to the Lord. Could that have been from birth? In this instance, we're not sure. We're just told the predicament. But it is safe to say, because Nicodemus would offer this question to Jesus, how can a man be born again? And so in essence, Nicodemus was declaring I think that I've been blind and mute from birth, even though the position that I hold is highly esteemed. Being a member of the religious government, I fully have not understood you, Jesus. And so his temple was needing to be filled. Not somebody who had just heard of Jesus, but actually had to declare the need by the challenge that Jesus declared to him, you must be born again. If not, Nicodemus, you cannot see the things that I desire to reveal to you, and you cannot speak the things that for any person can make any difference in their life. You can have the recitation of the law. You can wear the regalia 
all of the entrapments of the religious institution that you represent, but you're a teacher of Israel. How can you possibly teach when you cannot see? How can you possibly declare truth when you cannot speak of what it is I am? And so I think that's a cool picture right now. It says that in this touch in which this man was healed, the outcome was that all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the Son of God? Jesus continues to move even in the face of questioning such events. But I do find this to be interesting because in the question, the Son of God, they are paying tribute to him in a messianic prophecy. For it was promised to David that one in the lineage of David would be born who would be king, who would be an everlasting king. David would resign his life at 70. Solomon would pretty much follow in the same kind of time period and the lineage of some 43 kings later with a split kingdom, basically a nation that had been divided. And it had been divided based on their obedience or disobedience to God. And so we understand that began to leave Israel in both disarray and weakness as a nation, which is not too unlike this nation in being divided over things that we ought not be, but without having a singular focus of unity in the spirit, and most exceptionally upon one who as the son of God, the son of David, who took his place literally on our cross where we belonged to have been put to death, executed, because of our crime against God, sinners by birth, it says volumes right now. They both are able to say, this is a miracle. And they are also able to say, could this be the son of David, meaning recognizing the messianic prophecy concerning God, Emmanuel with us. Pretty awesome there. Now notice what happens because there are ears that are listening to this. And here's what they say. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So that's kind of a word that morphed into an elongated version. It actually goes all the way back to the days of Elijah in which he challenged victoriously as the representative of God, as the spokesperson of the way of God to those who were hedonistic and who actually worshiped multiple gods. But in particular, their chief god was Baal, Baalzebub. That interpretively moves us to understand Lord of the Flies. The Lord of the Flies is so insignificant to the Lord of Lords and to the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. 
small, if you would. And yet, how can he have such influence in the lives of the people that God actually has ordained to be a part of his family? And the idea there is that without the Spirit, then there is room for another spirit. This man had been demon-possessed because the vacancy in his life made room for ultimately that possession and the consequences thereof. And the idea there is that anyone not possessed by the Lord Jesus Christ will be possessed through culture, through their own tendencies of selfishness and pride. All of these things make an individual vulnerable. So what we do as members of his body is we represent him in a manner in which people without hope or clarity as to why things are the way they are in their lives personally or the afflictions even that some would say are a result of at times the influence of Satan, then we need to know that God's using us to bring about eyes that are opened, mouths that can speak truth. And as you understand, it's hard to under it's hard to realize how much our culture has embraced lying. We have people that can't define even on what you would call a simple biological standard, what the difference is between a woman and a man. There should be no confusion, and there should be no acceptation of deviation from God's word and what he says about distinguishing man above the entire kingdom that he created. It was his pinnacle work, Oh, we can be impressed with the mountains and the streams and the oceans and the animals. But God would say, my final work before I rested was creating man and woman. In my image, I created them, male and female. I think you know that a judiciary under exam could not fully define what a woman was. There's a problem there. There's a problem that lends itself towards division. I would propose to that judiciary candidate the cross is what she needs to have an understanding of the great divide. To cross the great divide, you have to understand the God who went to the cross. And a nation that turns their back on the living God of Israel, the God of all life, and the one who's made provision for redemption, then they become fools, and they behave foolishly. And it should be for us both as an alarm and to alarm us. What is happening? Well, the end of all times is at hand. We're to be looking up. But while we remain, people ought to know the hope that we have even though there is great weight upon us. We have to be those who keep our faith. This, though, is saying that these Pharisees right now 
have no better understanding of God in seeing the miracles that Jesus had performed than they had prior to him literally coming upon the scene. And that's a sad thing. Jesus has been manifested through the church. And the church is the manifestation of the Spirit of God bearing witness that there is one who has come to free men of their humanity to, if you would, put them in gold, cover them by the value that the Lord has placed upon us through Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, as they questioned him, and notice this word too, it's an interesting word. It seems derogatory, but I put a little bit of thought on this. This fellow, this fellow, you just were cued in that this is the son of David, who you know has already declared himself and the people have agreed, the son of God, this fellow. But just consider this. It's actually a word that's contemporary to us. A person in the same position, involved in the same activity, associated with another. <laughs> He's the high priest. He's the very one that had been prophesied would come. He was foretold. And so as both a high priest and as a prophet and as a king, he covered all three of those areas. In essence, they are saying, He's one of us, even though they are contradicting that by challenging him. Their words are allowed to basically be an indictment in what appears to be a slander, but it's actually saying, you're a part of the man you're accusing of being filled with Beelzebub by doing wonders, miracles, teachings, healings by the spirit of Beelzebub, the prince of darkness, lord of the flies. He's not lord of the flies. Jesus is not. He's lord of all. And he's the one who put these men who are critiquing him and allowing them to be in the same fellowship that they should be representing him for as priest. I found that to be interesting. Associated with another member of a learned society. They were learned men. They knew the law and they added to the law. And they put people under oppression with regard to the law. Jesus manifesting literally the law and the prophets in his life liberated people to love God. And to be loosed from all of the things that were legal requirements to get close to God. Jesus is told or telling us right now by this scripture that he knew their thoughts in verse 25. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. So, Kingdom is not necessarily a word that is anything other than archaic to us today. We would have 
nations probably better served for what we understand contemporarily. But regardless, there are nations led by those who behave as kings, as the only ones to govern them, and therefore very often they prove to be godless and lead their nations into godlessness. But I found this to be interesting as well, that in this word with regard to divided against itself, it's brought to desolation. It's a very severe word. It's a state of complete emptiness or destruction. And the consequence is anguish, misery, and loneliness. Doesn't that kind of sound like a contemporary culture? It does. And culture actually moves in and out of that particular definition, desolation. The 60s generation was a desolate nation and seemingly the product of what we still consider the greatest generation. We were to really define what history records, at least our nation does, as exemplifying one of the greatest generations. Their sacrifice, their patriotism, and their high regard for God in unanimity. They were united. What do you do on Sunday? We go to church. You go to church? We go to church. We honor our country and we honor our God. We're patriots and we are highly spiritual in honoring God. And so I find that to be interesting as well. The kingdom, if it's divided against itself, is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So kingdoms, cities, and houses, if they're divided against themselves, they will not stand. To cross the great divide, there is a reciprocation that needs to take place, needs to change. You see, when God created man, he created him spirit, soul, and body. When sin happened, then things changed in that configuration. It was all about body and personality or traits, attributes, <clears throat> followed by spirituality. It got flipped. As the Lord's presenting this, and as we started off with a man whose vacant life had been taken advantage of by a demonic entity, Jesus triumphed over him. In spite of where he had found himself to be, Jesus triumphed over him, gave that man victory. And the picture for us right now, even as Jesus is talking about the division of a kingdom and nation, a city, we live in a city, probably a better city than some other cities we could name. There are some cities I would not want to live in, to raise my kids in. And though this isn't a perfect city, it's small enough where the chances of it being perfected very possible. If what? We have families that are not divided. For over two years, our nation, in my opinion, worked through agencies of the government 
to subvert and subdue the work of the church, shutting it down, calling it names, irrelevant, unnecessary, bow down to the pandemic. That's not God's way. Many church members divided over that alone no longer attend. Is it a result of the offense on a difference of opinion, a difference of, by conviction, what we should do as a church, and that's prevail? Could they be so, if you would, into what would be the mandates that they felt the church was in violation to even question it? Well, we walked that direction when that event happened. We sat out for close to three weeks, sheltered in our homes. And when whatever color change was the means by which we had approval to come back in, we came back in. And when the charge was only 25, then we counted 25 and we welcomed another 25 in and another 25 in. We welcomed batches of 25 in. And we said, come as you are. Wear a mask if you want. In fact, we have them. Hand sanitizer. You can sprinkle it on your cereal if you want. Come on in. We would go to leaving the doors open so that we had a draft of ventilation. The Lord, I think, cleverly gave me an idea there concerning the tabernacle. It really was an open area, so we had these doors open and fans going. And people could sit outside. They could sit in their cars because I think we started to go online. But there are members that we do not see any longer. Did they forget about God? There's starting to be now a return, but there was no return necessary if ones had simply, in my opinion, turned more aptly towards the scriptures. Because the point was made in Colossians that Jesus is not the lesser of the governing agencies. He's supreme. He's preeminent. And if you will, the mandates were dependent upon an executive order that was only to be in stay for 30 days. After that, it needed to go back to the legislature. There's no state that I recall that ever went back to the legislature to have a vote on whether or not the mandates would stay in place. But I know this, this nation was founded upon having the privilege and honor of being unhindered in the worship of God. I know a lot of churches tried to complement the mandates. We did. But there's no apology when I saw churches, in my opinion, that decided we're going to honor the Lord. I went immediately back to Daniel and felt in my heart that even with the pandemic, if it requires a bowing down and a bowing out, I'm not going to do it for the sake of the government. I'm going to do it for the sake of the one who governs me. And that's what we did. So Jesus is not unfamiliar at all of being, if you would, disrespected. And his challenge right now is really hitting at the heart of the issue for our nation and for all nations. 
For if it is about national interests, national mandates that pervert the doctrine that is presented in the Bible with regard to what it is a believer believes and obeys, then we have confusion and division. And so it gets flipped that we start with us. How's our temple doing? We start with our homes. How is our home life with regard to teaching our kids the principles of God, following him diligently, and no matter what, without compromise? We all have those challenges, but when we as individuals are filled with the Spirit and we've committed our homes to live in accordance with the precepts that God has given to us in the Word and by which we make our decisions that indeed we have the power to contribute at the times that we vote, then that's what we do. And we then influence the cities that we live. And those cities then should influence the government that they, by decree and by what we would call the states operating in a sovereign but compliant way with the national or federal agencies, we see this nation turned. One individual, one home, one city, one nation under God. To cross the great divide cannot be done without the cross that will divide. What do I do? How about obeying the scriptures? What do I do? Talk to the Lord about that and obey him. I know that many of us here have obviously come through a very hard season. And it would seem that on the world stage right now, doesn't seem any easier, does it? But one of the things that we talked about several weeks ago in a teaching prophetically is that the Lord is on the move. He will take on individuals who for a season impose their power and are used as instruments of destruction while at the same time he is guiding his people back to the nation by which his eyes are fondly on, Israel. There is, I think, a wave of Ukrainians and others displaced by the war that are coming back to their homeland. And I believe one of the words I saw in droves. And we're going to see that as well. And it's going to be very interesting ultimately to see the protective agency of God in a time in which we see one likened, and I will say this, likened as to Antichrist, Putin is not a God-fearing man, and what he is doing is very much in similitude to what Hitler did. And I believe that he will both pay a cost, and unfortunately, his nation will pay a cost. Every nation does that moves contrary to the will of God. And especially when it is propagating a crime against humanity with intention and spirituality. There are wonderful, beautiful Christian believers in Ukraine, and some will not leave because of the cross. They just won't. 
Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? He's coming back to the challenge. Beelzebub, hardly. For he would be dividing himself if in fact this is what he does. He heals, he destroys. What a contradiction. It's kind of like a jumbo shrimp. How could that be? Small and big? And if I cast out, verse 27, demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Jesus is acknowledging that what he is doing is both supernatural, but that also that in their lives they have sons that are doing it. The condemnation isn't coming to their sons, but it's coming squarely at the face of Jesus, who is the face of God who is the son of David. They're making an exception of bias against one who literally came to save them. And it's just, you know, our Jesus, though not on earth, has the same influence in this domain as he's ever had. It's why what baffles people is, how can you talk about Jesus whom you have not seen? And most of us, I, I do see him. I know him. Why? Because his spirit is within residency within us. We have an undeniable belief that we have a relationship with God that is both personal and it is effectual. When we talk to God, he listens. As he listens, he performs miracles. We've had our bodies touched. We've had our minds cleaned. We have had our souls enlivened in which the personalities that we once represented in our humanity, perhaps very much complementing culture, no longer is under that influence. Your sons are doing this, and as such, they will be your judges. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the truth. The kingdom of God has come upon you. It's not a kingdom to come. It's a kingdom that right now is facing off with you. And you've got a choice. Accept it or you shall be rejected. And everything that you've stood for matters nothing because of the judgment that even your sons will have against you for not understanding these times understanding by what power and authority that they are doing this. God even allowed their sons to contribute to the healing of individuals that were possessed by Satan. Rather an extraordinary act of grace, in my opinion. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. The illustration is saying, I am the one that has bound that strong man. And I've given victory by plundering literally the house of Satan. He will plunder his house. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, 
and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So he says this as an exclamation to the challenge that he has made to them as they question by what means he has healed a man who is now liberated, able to listen to the words of the Lord, able to speak the truth of God, able to testify and make a difference in the next person that, like him, could not manage life, was inept, vulnerable, and he's liberated one. And the people, if you would, are connecting by association and by prophecy. This is Jesus. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And man, when he's with us, he does awesome things. And that's one of the things that we need to be reminded of as well tonight. God with us does awesome things. So the message simply in conclusion echoes the title. To cross the great divide, take up your cross and follow the Lord. And it's the place in which there is the resignation that your life is all about him and the outcome is ultimately what is his perfect will for you. And the other thing is, in the secondary definition, how's the execution going in your life? How's the plan of God being ultimately satisfied in the victory that you experience? I think that's a notable insight for all of us. To cross the great divide that may exist in both marriages and in parenting, in being members of a house, and what a great house we are members of presently. Isn't it interesting how we actually can have very unique opinions about life, and we can be very much unique and even how we evaluate one another. But when we use the word of God, we should not be divided concerning what it says and what we're to do, how we're to behave, and especially towards one another. I think that's the thing that actually hurts the most is that by evaluation of standing on God's word and convictions that I believe should be able to merit at least understanding by, in my opinion, unfortunate overreach, there's been a couple of footsteps back, but we're keeping our footsteps moving forward. And we need to be a church that both prays for there to be revival and an awakening. The revival is touching people who haven't been touched. Awakening means the church that's fallen asleep. I know that I have a gift of putting people to sleep, and that's okay, because you're, you're moving in my gifting. But I know that when we talk about those terms, that is what we pray about. A harvest, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me, and if you're not gathering, you're scattering. A harvest is here. And it's not about thumping somebody over the head with a Bible. It's not arguing politics. It's saying, all of these dynamics are at play, but we should be able to all get along without division. And we should all come to an agreement that this is good. 
you're not going to believe me, but I totally washed these jeans and that kneecap is dirty again. <laughs> because the industry of life puts stains on me. And I decided for illustration purposes, I wasn't going to wash them this night. When we come, what we may not be able to get rid of on this stuff that is our life, our humanity, God does take care of with the spiritual washing. You've been bathed. I've been bathed. I feel better for that. I still have to do the things that keep me up and upgraded. But ultimately, this tent, which now by reason of the Holy Spirit within me is a temple, he's doing good stuff in your lives too. So we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. And as I do that, the worship is going to close us out, and then you'll be able to bid adieu. And I will have been your um, little Betty by comforting voice, and you can head home and go to sleep. Going, that was awesome. He just prepares us for sleep. Lord, we ask for your blessings on our time. We thank you for this evening, for being able to sit among not only our peers and colleagues, our friends, but an eternal family. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this church. Thank you for the families that actually have taken that word. And by reason and virtue of the cross, they have stopped division. And they are united. Thank you for uniting us, Lord. Bless us as we move in the Spirit your way. And help us, Lord, to be encouragers of those lost along the way. And so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And then I'm going to come up for just a final, final closure. <laughs>